The message comes to us today from the book of John, 14th chapter, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking with his disciples. It reads like this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now that I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go up from here. This is the blessed word from our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Would you give this crew a thank you? They've been here since 7 this morning. And they will be back tonight at 5 o'clock for our 5 p.m. service. And so they do great and hard work every single week, and I am so grateful for them. I don't know if you have ever played the game. Uh, it is uh, an old French game uh, that uh, when you have a crush, if you're a guy or a girl, uh, you grab a daisy and you begin to pull one of the petals off and you say what? She loves me. And then the next one is, she loves me not. And so the way this old French game goes is that the one on which you land is the truth-telling petal, isn't it? And you just so hope, if you like her a lot, that it lands on the she loves me. Now, love, uh, in its real sense, hopefully is not that temperamental and not that unpredictable. And clearly, what Jesus says to his disciples is that love is very defined for a follower of him. That it isn't uh, the pulling off of a pedal and the landing on a particular uh, uh, place. It indeed is found in action. 
it is a very definitive response to him. We are within 24 hours of Jesus' crucifixion, his trial and his uh, crucifixion as he is talking here. And as we continue this series, The Longest Week, we discover that Jesus' final words carry such tremendous weight. The things that he will say at the end of his time with these disciples before they are going to be quite confused by his untimely death, by his ill treatment, are things that are worthy of us hearing today. How is it that we lean in and listen? What a privilege we have to have this conversation provided by John uh, between Jesus and these 11 disciples. It is from these words that to this morning we glean three realities that perhaps if you want them to go with you beyond today, you may want to jot down. And the first is this, if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. To keep is to observe or to do. It is not simply to know them, but to do them. And then later he gives a clarifying verb, which is have. To have Jesus' commandments is to own them. So to keep them is to do do them, to have them is to own them. It is strawberry season, and I love strawberry season because I like fresh strawberries. But I like fresh strawberries combined with a couple of other ingredients. I like them combined with uh, a shortbread kind of cake and whipped cream. I'm one of those guys who eats the stuff out of the can. I love whipped cream. I really do, and not Cool Whip. That's really just not so good. The homemade stuff is great, but I'll settle for the tall can. And uh, uh, in the fall when I eat pumpkin pie, somebody would have to tell you there was pumpkin pie underneath. Right, Scott? Scott's been to my house for lunch many, many times, and, and the food disappears under the whipped cream. But there are two kinds of strawberry shortcake. There are just two kinds. There's the one kind, which I call the more refined kind, with a dollop of whipped cream, a few freshly sliced strawberries, and the shortcake underneath, and they never mix. But then there's the really good kind, where somebody has thought ahead enough to take those strawberries, let them sit in their own juices to where they juice up by themselves, drop those on that shortcake, and then cover it up with whipped cream. And all of a sudden, it all just mixes together. And you can't tell if you've got uh, uh, shortbread or, or if you've got the, the strawberries. You say, Jerry, why in the world do you say this? It's almost lunchtime now. I'm super hungry. Why are you doing this to me? The reason I'm doing this is that this word, to have Jesus' commandments, is like that straw, those strawberries saturating that shortcake. When you have his commandments, those strawberries, when you have them, they just fill your life. 
They just kind of ooze out of you. You don't see it as burdensome. You don't view it as difficult. You simply do what Jesus says because your life is filled with, saturated with his love. To do Jesus' commandments is to love him. To love Jesus is to do what he says. One commentator writes, the lover does what the loved one asks. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In verse 24, he goes to it in the negative. Whoever does not love me, then in the negative does not keep my words. You know, it is one thing for your children to tell you they love you. It is another thing for your children to do what you ask. But here is what I've discovered is the ultimate. It's when your children do what they know you want them to do without you what? Asking. There's something about that that makes you just want to do a happy dance. You think, I've arrived if they will do what I want them to do, and I never have to say it. You feel so remarkably loved as a mom or dad in that moment. Love is a verb soaked in feeling. That's what it is. Uh, So Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will never leave you as orphans. Now this word leave is to abandon. Jesus has just called these grown men little children. Matthew, a tax collector, Peter, and his brother, rough and tumble fishermen, he is referred to as little children, but their leader, whom they have admired, followed, listened to, loved, sought to understand, is leaving them. But though he is leaving them, he will not abandon them. Jesus will be away from them, but with them. How? Verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. A helper, what does that word mean? It's where we get our uh, now English word paraclete. It uh, is derived from the Greek. It means one who is called alongside an advocate, uh, a legal friend. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you a friend. He will give you an advocate. He will give you someone who will be alongside you. But here's what struck me as uh, Alan Michael and I were preparing this sermon. Here's what struck me by this is the word another. I will give you another helper. That means that Jesus was the first one. Jesus was the first helper. And so if you struggle to understand who the Holy Spirit is, just open your Bibles to the Gospels and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at what Jesus did. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing today. If we bring this then into the present tense, Jesus is our friend in heaven before the face of God, and the Holy Spirit is our friend here on earth before the face of a hostile world. 
Jesus is our helper in heaven before the face of God. And the Holy Spirit is our helper here on earth before the face of a hostile world. Well, how does that look, you ask? What does he do? J.D. Greer in his book uh, uh, on the Holy Spirit simply titled it, Jesus Continued. The Holy Spirit is Jesus Continued. He is Jesus at work today in this life, in the here and in the now. In order to understand that, I think it's helpful to take a little journey. Uh, walk with me, if you will, into the lives of the disciples, and we will find them after Jesus has taught and fed a lot of people there on a boat. And Jesus comes walking on the water at night. Now, that will scare you. Uh, anybody walking on the water would freak you out, but add to it nighttime. And so they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. They see him. They're freaking out. And what does he do? He speaks above the waters. They recognize his voice. And who's the guy who's ready to jump out of the boat and go to him? Well, none other than Peter. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And, and, and Jesus bids him come, and he does, and he walks on the water until what? He takes his eyes off Jesus, and when he does, he begins to sink. Well, let's bring this into today. If in this day, if in this week of your life, if in this year of your life you have seen Jesus and he has called you out of your comfort zone and you've stepped out into the unknown and you've done it for a bit and it's gone well and all of a sudden you look around you and you see the circumstances and you begin to sink in the circumstances of your life, the Holy Spirit is right there and just like Jesus, he will grab you by the hand, pick you up out of your circumstances and set your feet on solid ground. That's what he does today, amen? That's the work of the Spirit. Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he passes through Samaria. He sees a woman at the well, and he does the unthinkable. He sits down with this woman, and they talk. Now, the reason that's unthinkable in his day is because he's a man, and She's a woman, and he's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan. He's a rabbi. She's a common person. But in the course of that conversation, you see, women didn't come to draw water in the middle of the day. The reason she did was because she was the town prostitute. She, Jesus told her, had had five husbands, and the one she had wasn't her own. He wrecked her, didn't he, in a good way. He told her everything she had ever done. And what happened? She goes running back into the city, preaching, declaring that this could be the Messiah. Do you know what happens? If you have ever come to know Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has done for you what Jesus did for that woman at the well. He drew you to himself. He called out your sin. He revealed to your, you your need for him. And he, he is the one who drew you to Christ. He's still doing that today, amen? He's still at work. You see, the Holy Spirit 
is Jesus continued. Just read the Gospels. Everything Jesus did then, the Holy Spirit is able to do now. Jesus will not abandon you. He will send another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. But there is a third reality. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments, if you, uh, uh, and he will never leave you as orphans. But this third reality is kind of a bundled promise, if you will. Much better than the bundles you get at Verizon, I promise. This bundle actually works for you. He will always help, abide, manifest, and teach. The fact that Jesus says he will send another helper means that you and I need what? Uh, That was so weak. All right, let's try that one more time. The fact that Jesus says he needs another helper means you and I need what? We need help. I know some of you are accomplished people. You are articulate. You are educated. You are good at what you do. You have pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. You've figured it all out. You have pursued the American dream and have seen it, but you still need help, and so do I. And you will need it until you are in his presence. You'll never grow out of that. Don't forget, he has just called them little children. And little children need what? Help. A lot of help. They need a lot of help. Years ago, I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua. And um, I speak Spanish so I can understand, you know, what's being said back and forth. And Managua at the time, and may still be that, that way today, wasn't safe. It just wasn't the safest place to have a crew of people. But there we were, uh, riding through the city, a big crew of us. So we're on a bus, and we stopped at a traffic light. And when we did, this guy climbs up on our bus, presumably to wash the windows. Well, I'm sitting near the front of the bus doing some interpreting work, Everybody on the bus is just chattering, looking at the scenery, taking everything in. When I see the bus driver reach for his machete, and then I hear him yell out certain things that I can't say out loud to the guy on the, on the front of the bus. It turns out he's not on there because he wants to wash our windows. He's on there because he's trying to get into the bus to rob us. But nobody on the bus had a clue. But the bus driver did and was taking care of it. How many times in life does God do that? How many times are we just going along? We're just minding our own business. We're just doing our own thing, and we have no clue that we're in imminent danger, that we are in danger, perhaps inside, or in danger externally, and the Holy Spirit is maneuvering and shifting and putting help in our path in ways that we may never know, or perhaps the joy of heaven is that we might know then. Jesus promises our help. 
he promises help. Uh, He says, I will dwell with you and will be in you. I'll abide. With and in are two pretty comprehensive prepositions, aren't they? Remember that Jesus had just told them he was the way, the truth, and the life. And remember last week we talked about we'd much rather have somebody to go with us than show us the way. In this sense, you might think of the Holy Spirit, not as a Google map, but as a tour guide. He will be with us. And in us. I must confess that this is hard for me to grasp, to put both those those prepositions together. To be with and in is to be both the picture frame and the picture. It it is both. It, It is to embrace and also empower. It is to accompany and also authorize. It is to encircle and also embolden. That's why Jesus can say, because I live, you can live also. My life in yours. And then he will manifest. To manifest is to disclose. Now Judas, not Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is gone. Judas, not Iscariot, has a question. Well, Lord, how are you going to manifest yourself to us, but not to everybody else? You see, Judas had this idea of of Jesus being this grand Messiah, right? This political leader who would do some pretty remarkable things. And Jesus' idea is quite personal. It is quite individual. I'll disclose myself to you men in this room. And he says, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So the manifestation, that, that word, it really gets at intimacy, doesn't it? It it gets at, he's going to move in. And when he does, he'll, he'll make his home with us. Uh, you know when you date, that's one thing. When you get married, that's a totally different thing, isn't it? I, I did a wedding yesterday evening. I mean, he gleefully literally picked her up and carried her out down the aisle. Just thrilled, just excited, right? But then there's morning breath, right? There's falling asleep, watching television, wondering what time you fell asleep. There are all the things, right, that characterize what it actually means to be husband and wife. You, you discover the best and the worst about each other. I'm a morning person. I wake up, hit the floor. I'm ready to go. My wife gets up. That's it. She does not wake up. I'm, I'm not lying to you. She, she now runs her own bakery in our, in our home. And when she gets up, and I've been up a long time in the morning, I already, you know, I know not to speak to her. No. No, I don't want that to color my day. I, I want to remember her as Wendy, not as pre-awake Wendy. She, can, she could do a, a, a full rotation of cinnamon rolls asleep. And then finally, when I'm heading out the door to come here, 
I'll see her. Her eyes are open. Carol Davis is playing. She's in. She's, and I'll go over to her and I'll say, hello, my awake Wendy. And she'll say, good morning. And we're good. And I'll leave. And I want that to affect me. Right? That's how you get to know one another. And I love her, no lie, just like she is. We've been at it for 20 years. I love her just like that. That's who she is, who God created her uh, to be. And thankfully, she loves me. Yeah. The same. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. He is your resident professor, your truth-telling roommate. He is your dinner companion in the evening and your coffee mate in the morning. He is an ever-present help in time of need. And he longs to manifest Jesus to you. 25 and 26, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. That's the fourth of this bundle of of promises. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Teach and bring to your remembrance. We're forgetful people, aren't we? We struggle to remember. We do. Ever had that moment where you sang a song in worship and on Tuesday it just starts to roll back through your mind right when you need it? So I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to step on your toes. It'll just be briefly and I'll come off of them. All right. But some of you don't give the Holy Spirit a lot to work with. You say, what do you mean? Well, you listen to country music all the time. Right, and when, when you're in dire straits, the Holy Spirit goes down, and, and I'm just going to date myself right here and tell you how long it's been since I've listened to it. And when he goes down, he just comes up with, I've got friends in low places. And it's just not, no, that's not helpful today. You know, I, I, what am I going for here? All that you've stored away in your mind is the latest TikTok video. That makes me more recent. The latest TikTok video or the latest whatever it is, Netflix, you binge watch, and the Holy Spirit is going down to grab out the Word of God. That's the weapon. That's the sword of the Spirit. And, so, and for some of you, it's like a little toothpick. Like, dude, there's just not enough in you. You're, you've got to be in the Word beyond this service. You've got to be in the Word and let the Word saturate you. There's that Word again, isn't it? You've got to soak up in the Word so that when the Holy Spirit goes to grab, He, he grabs the Word of God. Or you're in worship and you're facing a battle and it goes through your mind. I run to the Father, I fall into grace and in that sweet. All of a sudden, he ministers. That's the promise. I'll teach you. I'll bring to your remembrance. All right, I'll bounce off your toes for a moment. I'll bring to your remembrance. But he will only bring to your remembrance what you've tucked in. I taught at Montreat for seven years. I love those students. But they would come in, and I could tell in their eyes on test day when some of them were praying for a miracle. 
like you could tell the fear in their eyes. And some of them I got a little close to, they'd say, would you please pray for me? Well, yeah, I'll pray. One prayer. Oh, Lord, bring to their remembrance all they've studied. That's what I pray every time, right? Because he, I don't think, normally performs those miracles of, wow, I never saw that in my life. And I didn't do multiple choice. So you got to know it, right? Same in our walk with the Lord. It was in the 50s that a man by the name of Robert Boyd Munger penned really a, a parable. Um, called My Heart, Christ Home. It will be up tomorrow, and you'll be able to read it in its entirety. Here's how it begins. He says, One evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular, emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been silence. He filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I've never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to, to have you settle down here and perfectly be at home. Everything that I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And Munger walks then through the rooms of his heart. The study, the library, the control room of the house, he calls it. He goes to the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. And into the living room where uh, he says that, that Jesus said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet. And we can fellowship together. And into the workroom where Jesus proposed real ministry that he might do. And then he talks about the rec room. He asked me if I had a rec room where I went for fun and fellowship. He says, I was hoping he would not ask about that because there were certain associations and activities I just wanted to keep for myself. But it was this room. He says, one day I found him waiting for me at the door of the hall closet. An arresting look was in his eye as I entered. He said to me, there's a peculiar odor on the house, uh, in the house. Something, something must be dead around here it, it's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just a few feet square. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him, and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom. And now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you are mistaken. I'll go out on the porch. 
Then I saw him start down the stairs. And he says, when one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his fellowship. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you will have to open the closet and clean it out. I don't have the strength to do it. Just give me the key. He said, authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it, walked over to the door, opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting in there, and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it. It was all done in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. That's the promise of the Spirit. He is not a porch sitter. He is a closet cleaner. Lord. For those of us who have had the joy of you taking up residence in our hearts, but for some reason have resisted your gracious, persistent call to the closet. Lord, may we hand over the key and let you do what you do. Holy Spirit, for those who have never answered the persistent, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I will come in. I'll eat with them and they with me. I pray that they would not go another moment without opening the door. Inviting you in and receiving grace and mercy and a lifelong friendship until we see you, Jesus, face to face. In your name I pray.